all that we started doing was going like, if that's how stories work, that's how life works. And if that's how life works, that's how companies should work. So now, like we were just in DC a couple weeks ago with like a, a big firm and they had a bunch of new startups. So we go through, we help them figure out their armature and then we realign their entire company around that because structure is structure. You're listening to How You Create with Ben Terry and Joshua John Marie. how you two met is like actually really interesting. And so before we get into that, Jesse, can you just describe to us, give us the bio of Brian. How would you describe who Brian McDonald is? And this isn't because Brian's a friend of mine, but I'll, 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 like no bullshit. When it comes to understanding how stories work, teaching stories, and in my opinion, telling stories, he's the best living, he's the best in the world right now, like alive. Got I mean, it. you, so you, you have always understand. been his biggest hype man for sure. Yeah, because it's clear to me, like the like honestly, it's game recognized game. Like if you really understand something, you can recognize that pretty easily. And it doesn't have to be like if you're an amazing chef, you can walk in and see what an architect's doing, and you and if you can see what they're doing structurally, even though you're not an architect, you can appreciate that. You can go, wow. Everybody else goes, wow, this is a really pretty house, and you go like, no, you're not. You don't know what you're looking at. Hmm. It's like that. And so when it comes to understanding structure and how stories work, because if you understand how stories work, you understand how people work. Um, it was apparent within the first like five minutes of being in Brian's class that Brian just understands this at a level that I've never experienced. And I've been studying this stuff my whole career. Uh, and, and it just, and you know, all it is, you know what all it is, is when somebody explains something and you got to think about it a couple of times to start, I kind of get what you're saying, versus when somebody explains something and you immediately get it. It's so much harder to do that. Explain something simply and clearly with like no fluff so hmm. you can actually metabolize it. You know how hard that is to do? You know, it's it's uh, so it's like that with understanding how the structure of human communication works. Because when you when you first met Brian, one of the first questions he asked you was, why do stories exist? Right. Mm -hmm. um, did you have an immediate response or is that something that you had to did it, did it feel kind of like a trick question? I just said, I don't know. <laughs> and so I think I was in my early 30s, I think. Something like that. Something like that, I'm yeah. 41 now. But it was something like that where I had hit a point with running Belief, which is the agency I started, um, where, well, Brian, we're partners now. But like at the time, I had started Belief and I was a few years in. And my problem was, so so going back, like I, I made, I've been making my living in film, or storytelling, marketing, media since I was 19. So I used to tour and a lot of people thought you were like an expert in storytelling. Like yeah, a lot of people I mean, look to you as like the go-to guy around telling stories. And so for you to find Brian but is see, like ben, pretty that was the significant, part, right? Is because here was my problem. My problem was I was inconsistent. And so it's like, it's like, I don't know if you played sports or something and you're like, yeah, I, I'll go on like a shooting spree, like type of it. It's like, I can't miss. And then the next game, I'm bricking every shot, right? And so the problem was inconsistency. And so the stakes had gotten high enough. I mean, at least where I was at, you know, when I was younger and I was touring with bands and doing mu music videos and like I was a director of media for Red Bull Music Academy and stuff like that when I was really young. And so I was, I was doing some really interesting stuff, but everything was gut based. So I would look at it and be like, hey, I think this will work. My gut says, I think this will work. But when the, my gut didn't show up, I'd be like, I don't know. 
Mm. Like, I, I don't really know. And so I did, I read everything from um, Joseph Campbell and I went through, I even got like the Skywalker tapes because he did a bunch of like lectures at like Skywalker. Right? I like, I found the tapes of that and listened to it. And my problem was there was so much like coded language and there was so much of stuff around it and I'm dyslexic. So it takes me a while to really get things. But when I get them, I get them. Um, and I'd hit this point in the agency where all of a sudden we had all these people that were dependent on us for like healthcare and livelihood that I just couldn't do this up and down thing anymore. And I hit, well, it's funny. There's a thing. My mom's a counselor. She always says that people don't change until the pain is greater than the fear, which is kind of an armature if you're paying attention at home. Right. <laughs> and so it was like, I got to figure this out. And I started asking friends, like, I'm like, I read these books because everybody always says, says the same thing. Like, here with thousand like read Joseph Campbell, read there's certain people, you know, Blake stuff with the save the cat or whatever, like read this stuff. And I was like, I've done all that. I hmm. still don't get it. Like it still is too complicated and it shouldn't be this complicated because we're talking about human communication. Like even when we talk about like script writing stuff, it's like, it's still just human communication. Mm -hmm. It should be basic stuff. And then somebody was like, oh, you should check out Brian McDonald stuff. So Brian was teaching and I went to. I signed up for the class and I'm there with like a bunch of like, I think it was the class you were doing. Shoreline. At Car at Car yeah. Shoreline, Shoreline Community College. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so I was the oldest guy there by a long shot and kind of embarrassing, right? Because you're sitting there and you're like in your 30s or whatever. And you're there with a bunch of like kids that aren't paying attention. And, you know, 10 minutes in, I was like, this is the smartest dude I've ever. Like, this finally makes sense. Yeah. Okay, this makes sense. And it, and it makes sense in a way that I can apply this immediately to solve a problem I have to solve in the morning at work. And then after that, so I went through the first class, which is like a, I don't know, quarter long, something like that. Yeah. And I just kept going. So I did it a total of six times. Like I kept going to class. I just kept signing up. Hearing and the then, same lecture then, or? No, same fuck. Yeah. So, so it was like, <laughs> it's like whatever story one one or whatever it was called. Yeah. And I would just sign up again and I just kept coming back. Brian, were you, then, were you like, what is this guy doing? No, that he's not the first person to take the class multiple times. Uh, but, uh, there's a point at which Jesse was different because there's a point at which where, um, I tell people that they can't take the class anymore <laughs> because <laughs> Jesse was trying to understand it, but some people take the class a lot because they're thinking I'm going to say something that makes it easy to do. Mm -hmm. Like you'll just say the magic thing and I can sit down and type out my novel. It's like, that's not how it works. I, I can't, I can make it easier and I can make you better, but I can't make it easy. And so, uh, but Jesse wasn't really looking for that. He was looking to understand it. So, um, so I was used to people coming around uh, more than once, but I wasn't used to when I had a lecture, a series of lectures in Italy, somebody traveling to another country. Yeah, yeah. So Brian was like, <laughs> Brian's like, I'm doing this thing. I think it was Land of the Dead. I was Land of the Dead. How long ago was that then? That was 2015. <laughs> yeah. So Brian's wow. like, I'm going to do this lecture called Land of the Dead. I haven't talked about it in class. And I was like, okay, I'll see you there. And so Andy and I flew to Italy with our wives. Because I was like, I want to go to class. Like, I want to get, I want to metabolize it. I don't want to understand it in the same way I under, I need to know this like in my bones. And so that's what I was trying to do. I'm not, I wasn't trying to, I wasn't trying to, I wasn't trying to impress anybody at a fucking party. Yeah. Right. Like, I needed to know this stuff, like pure survival information. I knew that if I didn't get this, it would determine. Yeah. the entire framework and how far I can go in general with the rest of my career. Right. 
And so yeah. I just kept going until I started to understand. And then we had a point where it was like, cool. Now everybody at the agency has to go to class. So then we were rotating the entire company wow. through the class. So all of a sudden, I mean, you had to show up one day and it's like, everybody comes in. They're like, we're all from Belief. Yeah. <laughs> we started just buying out the class. And then eventually it was like, Brian, will you just come and work here? Just do whatever you want, but just help us to understand this. And then Brian was like, "Oh, yeah, okay." And then, and then now we're now we're partners, and we you know do everything. But yeah, that's I mean, incredible. that's kind of how it, that's kind of how we started working together. So, Brian, how do you feel hearing Jesse's telling of what you do, what you're good at, and like how y'all kind of came together? Like, how does that align with your perspective of the telling of events, or even your own biography? How do how does that hit you? Uh yeah, that seems pretty accurate to me. I mean, it, I experienced it pretty much exactly the way he talked about it. And I, I remember belief people coming in and and uh, they would be applying the stuff. They were working on a, you were doing Easton. At the time. Yeah, yeah. We're doing a bunch of documentaries for Microsoft. Yeah. And so um, what, what was great for me was I was indirectly involved. I feel like I was part of that project. Mm -hmm. I wasn't yeah. there. But they would come to class and go, we use that thing you talked about. And, you know, so that was really great to see. Okay, so let me set this up because yeah. this is this was crazy. So I was talking to Brian in class. And I'm like, hey, the Microsoft wants us to go down and interview this guy. And we have a day. And all we're supposed to do is go down and ask basic questions. Just sit him in a chair, ask him these questions, come back, show that tape to Microsoft. And they'll decide whether or not they want to make a documentary. Is this the and robotic like, arm? Yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. the easy one, right? And and so I had a day and I was like, I'm going to try to apply this stuff and I'm going to try to shoot a whole doc in a day. So they're paying us to go down and just ask, just interview one person. I'm going to see if I can do an entire documentary in a day now that I'm starting to understand this. And I did. So I, I came back to class. I was like, check it out. I, was, I had 24 hours, went down, shot the whole doc. I know I got it. And then I came back and that, that documentary went on to be the most well-performing piece of content Microsoft ever done. And when you start to understand this stuff, so for instance, like the doc I did before that was I did a full-length doc on Tooth and Nail and it took me five years. Wow. I just if watched I that this morning. I could have done it in three or four months. That's the difference. That's crazy. So what is like the the thing that's being pulled out of storytelling 101 like what why do we tell stories? What is armature which you talk about in Invisible Ink? Like what is the thing that finally clicked? That finally clicked for Jesse or finally clicked for what? For for Jesse and like, what was the heart yeah, of your what? class? Josh is really asking for himself. He He's not going to be able to take the class. <laughs> he hasn't read the book. He wants the cliff notes. I'm, I'm tired Tell of, what of he running needs to by know. the gut. Josh, so Josh, all it is, is it's uh, there's a, I, mean, I think, I think Einstein talks about this where it's like, if you truly understand it, stand something, you can explain it to like, you to know, a five year old, like, to a five year old. Right. Yeah. And so it, most people are just full of shit, Josh. That's the problem. <laughs> they use big words and they talk over your head and you go like, I mean, it sounds good. I didn't really catch it, but everybody else is clapping. So they must know what they're talking about. They hide behind terminology. Right. Hide, right. Brian once said, he said, terminology creates the illusion of expertise. Hmm. Think about that. So that's how most things are. I'm going to use big terms most of which have been invented. People talk, when they talk about like advertising, they're like, this is how advertising works. And I'll be like, yeah, Ogilvy made that up 40 years ago. Like, it's not like that was on a pyramid in ancient <laughs> Egypt. And it's like, most of the shit that you talk about just being as it is was made up by somebody 40 or 50 years ago. It wasn't whatever. 
What Brian did was he used first principles. Like he said things like, well, what's the definition of a story? Yeah. So instead of starting with some highfalutin bullshit of like, let's study cinema verite and blah, blah, blah. It was like, hey, let's start with this, Josh. Great. You're a storyteller. You've got a podcast. What's a story? Yeah. If you can't tell me the answer to that, that's a problem. Right. <laughs> right. It'd be like, it'd be like if somebody was like, I'm a mechanic. And you're like, cool. What's the definition of a mechanic? Like, what do mechanics do? And you go, oh, that's really interesting. That's kind of an esoteric question. It's like, no, it's not. It's a really straightforward question. <laughs> yeah. If you're a storyteller and you can't tell me the definition of a story, that's how bad our education is for story. For sure. Does that make sense? Yeah. So define yeah, yeah. this shit. Yeah. Well, what, what, what is a definition? You can't, you don't have a handle. Yeah. So Brian was asking questions like this. What's a story? <laughs> Why do stories exist? Right? Like, uh, as a storyteller, what's your responsibility in light of that basic funnel, like basic, basic stuff. And if you understand the basics, everything else will make sense. Hmm. Yeah. But I'm not going to the answer. <laughs> I'm I'm ready to go to class. This 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 is a treat. I love this. I one of it is the first question I ask in class is is what is a story? Give me a definition. And um I don't tell people right away and they struggle. Yeah. Um yeah, they struggle with it. More and more people are getting the answer, but it's so much like the definition I give that I'm like, they heard me say it. They read my book, you know, like, but they'll pretend like, no, no, I just happen to come up with the exact words that you use, you know, so, <laughs> so, uh, you know, but they, you know, we, I pretend along, but <laughs> well, when you get this stuff and I can't talk about who the client is, but I had like a client we did this summer, we did their corporate narrative. I mean, I don't know. One of the most recognizable brands, big brand in yeah. America. Yeah. And like, I figured out their corporate narrative in 24 hours. And so they're used to working with like the biggest agencies in the world. And it was like, all, once you understand this stuff, I was like, oh, I got to figure out their armature. And then once I had it, I walked in Brian's office like, dude, I think it's this. And Brian's like, yep. And then it yeah. took six months to sell it in. But it was like, you can solve the problem so fast, like velocity wise, it's crazy what yeah. you can accomplish. And that, that's what I said before. It's like, all of a sudden we make a documentary an entire day. And by the time I got on the plane, I was like, I know I have it. Yeah. Like, I know it'll work. I don't know if it'll be magics because sometimes stuff happens where you, it, it becomes. But I know that structurally, it'll. I have the piece. And then to see it go so well. And that was really the beginning of belief, like scorched earth type work, was just that first that first thing we did with Easton uh, coming out of class. Yeah. You know, it's interesting you bring that up because I think in the book, Brian in the Invisible Ink, you kind of talked about how once you understand what story structure is, you know exactly what to look for in almost every situation. But the people who don't understand story structure, it stays invisible and it's hard to see. And is probably yeah. why some of the people go to the class six or seven or eight times to be able to unlock what feels like this mystic, mysterious thing that's kind of happening. So if you could even like boil down a little bit of like You've mentioned the phrase armature and story structure. Like, what are those things? Or if you want to expound upon something else, like, what are those things to someone who's just being introduced to those terms? Sure. Okay, let me do something real quick. Okay, Ben. Yeah. Well, the other thing I saw about what Brian was doing is he wasn't explaining how movies work. And he wasn't explaining how to write a book. He was explaining the logic of human communication, 
what you just did is you opened up with a, you had a proposal. Yeah. You said, okay, Brian, so you're saying this, and then you had an argument. So that's why people go to class. Conclusion. So in light of that, can you set this up? Proposal, argument, conclusion. That's why we have three <laughs> acts. So what I'm saying is when you can do that, when you can dissect like why you had to say it in that order in order for it to make sense in our brains, I just understood not only how three acts work, I also understood how a sales funnel works. Mm. I just understood in general how to move information from my brain into another human's brain with less friction than anyone else. Does that make well, sense? Well, obviously I've oh. read the book, so I'm I'm a little <laughs> bit ahead of most people. <laughs> no, no, but I'm saying you were setting up a question for him. Yeah. And the reason why you had to set it up in that order is also why we have three acts. And so what I saw was when Brian's explaining structure, people think he's talking about movies. Mm-hmm. He's talking about the math of how to move information. It's an efficiency model that humans have created, like evolved over millions of years to move something from my brain into your brain. So yeah. don't just think about all this stuff at like a surface level. That's what was crazy about being in class is people thought he was talking about movies. Right. And I was like, no, he's talking about life. <laughs> Once you understand that, you become so surgical and you can dissect things and you can understand like how to move things around in, from an argument perspective um, to create less friction. Yeah. You can implant splinters in people's brains for better or for worse with the basic like principles that Brian's going to explain right now. So. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, it is interesting. People get stuck on the surface. So they'll say, like, I was just talking to a guy the other day and he was talking about zombie stories or political stories. And it's like, story's a story. I don't break them up that way. That doesn't, that way of thinking doesn't make any sense to me. And it's also very surface. Hmm. Um, it's not about what's happening internally. It's almost like judging a person's character by the clothes they have on or something like that's a good person. Look at that nice suit. Like, what are you talking about? Right? There's something underneath. And so, uh, so story structure is an interesting thing because people talk about it as if stories um, have structure. So they'll say, they'll say, uh, um, you know, you gotta, you gotta have story structure to have a whatever. But the thing is, what they don't understand is that a story is a structure. It is a structure the same way a building is a structure. Yes, a building has a structure, but a building is a structure. A bridge is a structure. A story is a structure. So Steve Jobs, Steve Jobs said design is how it works. Exactly. He was saying the exact same thing. Mm-hmm. Right? So so the thing is, um, for instance, if I'm telling you a story and I say, uh, I got up in the morning and um, uh, I went to make breakfast and I was out of milk. And so I, I go to the store and uh, they're all out of milk because we're having supply chain issues for whatever, whatever, right? Let's say I told you that story. Well, I'm curating events when I tell you that story. I'm cur- I have a structure. I've left out everything that doesn't have to do with milk, right? So I say I got up in the morning, but I don't say I pulled the blankets down. I don't say this is how many steps it was to the kitchen. I don't say I brushed my teeth. I don't say I took my sh- a shower. I don't say I got dressed. I don't tell you how I got to the store. Did I walk? How long, how far away was it? Did I get in the car? You know, what, what kind of car do I have, right? W- what else was in the store? Who else was in the store? None of that stuff matters. You automatically curate events because you, okay. you're making a very specific point. That is structure. Okay, now here's where this starts to get interesting on your side, Ben, with the VC stuff you're doing. Yeah. 
all that all that we started doing was going like, well, this structure is going to be it's going to be if it's if that's how stories work, that's how life works. And if that's how life works, that's how companies should work. So now, like we were just in D.C. a couple weeks ago with like a, a big firm and they had a bunch of new startups. So we go through, we help them figure out their armature and then we realign their entire company around that. Because structure is structure. Ultimately, structure gives you focus. You know what happens when a startup is focused, when they know who they are and they know exactly what to do in light of that? They know to cut out the part about how many steps it took to get to the grocery store. They know to cut out whatever. They get hyper, hyper focused. And so this logic isn't just like the logic of human communication. When you start to apply it to a business communication strategy, it's <laughs> crazy. That's how you start to go like, oh, I guess that's right. Foop, everybody has a shared horizon. They know what the story's about. The whole team is all rowing in the same direction. And then they, and then in essence, they out communicate the competition. They're and, wicked and focused. What so, is, uh, what is armature? Cause Ben and I have read, you know, kind of the books and we've heard it, but just for the audience, how would you define armature? Well, an, ar well, um, an armature is really, um, well, I'll tell you how I came up with the term armature. Now I've heard people use it since I, I had never heard anybody use it before. Um, um, I heard people use uh, spine to kind of describe basically the same idea. Uh, but armature is something I, I sort of uh, came upon because I used to work in creature shops when I was in my 20s, early 20s. I worked in creature shops in Los Angeles. Um, my roommate was a special effects makeup artist. Um, and so I was able to get, I didn't know anybody. So I was able to get jobs like through him or he started a company and later at his company. Um, and I would watch these amazing sculptors who would make these creatures because, you know, this is before CGI. So they had to sculpt the thing and make the thing like fabricate right. a real creature costume or whatever puppet, maybe anyway, they would sculpt these little mockettes, these little versions of the monster, the creature, the alien, whatever it is. And amazing sculptors. I got to watch work. I should have paid more attention and learned how to sculpt. I didn't do that. But, but, but I asked them questions because they had, they would make a, skeleton before mm -hmm. they sculpted in clay and i was asking about it i'm like why do you do that and they said well because clay can't support its own weight so after a an hour or two or a day or two it would collapse upon itself so it needs this skeleton this armature it's even called armature wire the wire you use and uh and I, when i looked at a sculpture i realized oh there's an armature in, under there and it's holding everything together everything's built around this but and it's one of the most important parts of this sculpture but it's not the part that anybody sees right? or pays attention to or looks at the, the sculpture and says, wow, what a great armature, right? It, a story has an armature too, and everything is built around it. it everything, everything hangs off of this idea. So just like um, if my armature is, man, these supply chain issues you know, are out of control, and I tell you the milk story, that's what the armature of that story is. Right? It has to prove it. Right. The story is proving it. Right. So you make a proposal, man, these supply chain issues are a problem. Right. You make an argument. Right. I was out of milk. I went, they didn't have any milk. Right. You have a conclusion. This is crazy. What's happening. Right. Yeah. Whatever <laughs> it is. Right. Um, and so, uh, yeah, your armature is the point you're making. And, and so this is why when, when Brian's talking about that stuff, I go, oh, it's the same in business. Yeah. What's your armature? What's oh, the you, point? Have, you have an investment thesis. It's like, what's your armature? Prove that shit. Yeah. 
investing. My, like I was talking to my buddy, you're talking about Josh, right? Josh Ong, like from Border Ventures. Yeah. I was talking to Josh and I was talking about Armature and he was just talking. And then at one point in the conversation, he said, like, he said, well, Web3 exists to serve the marginalized. And I, was like, I go, that's an Armature. Hmm. I go, so you're starting an investment. You're, you're going to be investing in Web3 project. Yeah, I go, like, great. Imagine if that was the center of the entire company. We believe that Web3 exists to serve the marginalized. How would that, if that's what you believe, that's your armature, if that's a skeleton inside, how does that change the actions that you take in order to prove that to be true? What mm-hmm. companies do you have to invest in? If this, then what? If you believe that to be true, how does that change your actions? Where do you invest your money, time, treasure, talent? Hyper-focused, straight line. So when Brian's talking about armature, understand that applies to everything. It this. I mean, you were talking Da Vinci. You've talked about Da Vinci, how he painted. Right, yeah. I thought I thought of it, but Da Vinci, da Vinci beat me to it. Uh, actually, <laughs> he learned it from somebody too. Um, but uh, when I'm working with a company, sometimes like a consult as a story consultant, or sometimes when I'm collaborating with somebody, um, I started thinking about how things are constructed, how everything is constructed. And everything is constructed bones first. Bones, muscle, skin, right? So you, you, you build the, the, the scaffolding for the building and then you put the innards in the building and then you put the facade on the building, right? And so Da Vinci used to paint that way, bones, muscle, skin, right? From the inside out. And so, uh, so when you're working with somebody, sometimes I'm like trying to figure out the bones and they're working on skin. So they're like, I'm like, we should have a scene where the guy finds out X, Y, and Z. And they go, well, what's that going to look like? How are we going to shoot that? That's skin. Hmm. We're not there yet. Hmm. Right? Or uh, we got, this guy's got to find out his, his, his wife is having an affair or whatever. Okay. Oh, okay. Well, how are we going to do that? Is she going to walk? That's muscle. We're not there yet. We know that has to happen. We're clever, smart people. We can make it happen if we need it to happen. But first, we need to know what happens huh. and why. And I love that. Like, what are you trying to say? Like, what's the point? And then you you kind of get into the, in at least in the Invisible Ink, and it carries through a lot of the work, even around belief agency, is we're not just, the point isn't just to tell facts, but it's to tell the truth. And you get into the book a lot about kind of discerning between certain things that are most profound and most impactful are the ones who are telling the truth, both as a storyteller, but as the scenes actually unfold or like putting yourself in those scenes. So like how important is leaning into the truth rather than facts or this idealism when you're kind of telling stories and trying to stay true to the point that you're trying to make? Like how do do you wrestle with that tension a lot? So this is one of the things that blew my mind because as soon as I went to class, it was like, as soon as I got in my first class, I, I didn't know you had written, I didn't read Invisible Ink. Oh. And so I got it like immediately. And uh, I think it's in your wrap up. You said something along the lines of, if you want to impact people deeply, you have to tell the truth. Yeah. And I was like, dude, we're trying to do the same thing. And so that was super important to you. Why yeah. was that so important that you finished up? Your, like that you made that your biggest point at the end. Because when it comes to constructing stories, people think their job is to make things up. Yeah. And so that what that does is it makes you be creative 
to the point where it's a detriment to what you're trying to do. So you're like, well, let's see what could happen. What could happen? Well, the dragon could come and a UFO could, ha you know, it's what could happen. No, no, no. What should happen? Hmm. Which should happen. Right. And so um, and so telling the truth keeps you out of that. Like, oh, I want this cool thing to happen. I want that. No. What really happens when a person does X, Y and Z? What really happens when people are confronted with X, Y and Z? Because if the story is there to help people, which I believe it is, then you're not going to help them by lying to them. You're going to help them by telling them the truth. Now, the truth doesn't have to look like the facts. So um, the boy who cried wolf, right? The armature of that piece being, if you are known to be a liar, people won't believe you if you tell the truth, right? So that's the armature of that story. Um, but it's not a true story, right? But it happens every day. <laughs> it's a true story. It's not a factual story. Slow as anyone's a race is true. There was, to our knowledge, there's never been an official race between a tortoise and a hare, <laughs> but it's a true story. Yeah. Right. It, when we talk, that's when we talk about stories are either medicine or poison. Mm. You're either giving someone medicine that will help them heal, right? Or you're poisoning them. Lies poison. The truth is your only chance to actually put medicine in the world. Yeah. So, yeah, the truth ends up being, it's not even a, it's a strange thing. It's not... Um, it might sound pseudo religious to people or, Oh, tell the truth. You know, there's a, I noticed that when I wrote in, um, the golden theme, the book after invisible ink, um, people could only, um, I talked a lot about that and about compassion in that book and, but people could only put it in a religious context. It was really interesting. Mm -hmm. And to me, it was very practical information about how to write a story, but other people saw this other thing. Um, but the truth comes out of that idea that if, if I'm trying to help you with my story, there's just no other way to do it other than tell the truth. You know, um, if somebody says to you, I, I have a needle phobia. I hate going, I hate getting shots and stuff. And, and um, I hate it. Like I hate it. <laughs> it's not a joke. I hate it. And uh, it's uh, it's like I become like a wild animal. Like you don't, you know, like I'm not even a, an adult man when it comes to getting shot. I don't think this is the incident that started this, but I do remember when I was a kid, and I think we were getting like measles vaccines or something. And they had a bunch of kids in a in a big auditorium, and they were all, you know. And somebody said it doesn't hurt. Hmm. I'm like, oh, okay. Well, it did hurt. And and if somebody said to me, you know what? Yes. It's going to hurt, but you're going to be all right. It's going to hurt. Like, that's actually helpful. But I felt like I can never trust anybody now when it comes to this, right? They were trying to help. They did not help. Tell me the truth. Hmm. Um, you know, if somebody says, uh, life is going to be hard, but you're going to get through it, that's the truth. Life is going to be easy is not going to help anybody. Right. Because you, you guys talk about this dynamic of... Uh, the re one of the reasons we tell stories is it's survival information, right? Like you're passing along uh, See, things that are going to... You walk right into that. You walk right into that. <laughs> uh -oh. It's the only reason. Yeah. It's the only reason. Now, people push back on that idea. Yeah, right. Can I set this up? Because yeah. first act's important. Okay, so like we jump to armature. What's actually, from a logic perspective, it's actually helpful to go... What is a story? Define it. Mm -hmm. 
right? So you understand like what you're talking about. Um, will you just tell people what a story is? Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So the, 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 now the funny thing is when I ask people this, they'll say all kinds of things. They'll say a story is a beginning, middle and end. That's not a definite climax. It's a, it's a climax, right? I'm pretty what? sure a story is a vibe. It's a vibe. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> a lot of times people say beginning, middle and end, or they'll, they, they, they have all these things that aren't really a definition or they'll say it's a narrative of, it's like narrative is just another word for story. You can't use that word in your definition for the thing. Right. Um, and so. Um, dictionary definition of a story would be a story is the telling or retelling of a series of events leading to a conclusion, meaning having a point. That's what the armature is about. Hmm. Now, what I have to say is that's my definition. Now, I looked it up in the dictionary, and there's a reason I looked it up in the dictionary, uh, what a story was. Um, I heard a bassist, an interview with a jazz bassist years ago on NPR. And apparently really great bassist and everybody wants to play with this bassist. And the interviewer said, "Why? how did you become the person everybody wants as their bassist? How did you become the jazz bassist? And he said, well, I was a bassist for years and uh, I was pretty good. He goes, but I, I decided to look up the word bass in the dictionary one day. And a bass is a foundation. Everything is built on the foundation. Once I understood that was my job, I was better at my job. Hmm. Right? That's interesting. So, yeah, isn't it? So I'm like, okay, so what's the job? What's the job, right, of a storyteller? What is a story? Because if you don't know that, the other thing is people have all these, they think they have a definition in their head, right? But if I just start, if I'm teaching and I just start talking about stories and Ben, you have a definition in your head, and Josh, you have a de definition in your head, and Jesse has a definition in his head. I'm already miscommunicating from the word go. Right. We are already not speaking the same language. Right? So defining it also gives us a common language. So the way they write dictionaries is that they go around and they ask a bunch of smart people what they think a word means. And that's when you get the number one, number two, because it's like, oh, these, this many people said this, this, right? And that's why language changes because people's definitions change over time, whatever. So when I looked up story, I realized that they asked a bunch of word people. They didn't ask storytellers what a story was. So the definition they had was a, was a story is the telling or retelling of a series of events. And I'm like, that's not true. <laughs> that's not complete. Leading to a conclusion, having a point. Stories have a point. They have a reason to be told. You ever sat there and listened to somebody? They're like, and then I did this, and then this happened. And you're like, I'm sorry, I don't know where this is going. What, what, what's the yeah, point of your story? Yeah, that's not yeah. a story. And it was like, I think it was 4.45. No, I've been 5 o'clock, and I ran into this lady. She had a cool red hat. Uh, that's not important. But then it's just like, you're like, okay, what's happening right now? <laughs> right, yeah. Right? So does that does that make sense? What? So that's why it's like, okay, what is a story? Leading to conclusion, meaning it has a point, which means there's a focal point which means we have a shared horizon. Like if I said like, what's the point of your business existing? And you said, we're a, a SaaS product that I'm like, but what's the point? What's the point, right? If you find out the point, reverse engineer. If you figure out the end of the story, that'll tell you how it has to start. Hmm. Make sense? It'll tell you everything that has to happen between here and there, right? Does that make sense? Yeah. Like that's how you get focused. So what is a story? Then you go, great. If that's what a story is defined, why do they exist? So we know that they're here and we can define them, but why do we have them? 
Now that's order of operations. Right. Okay. So yes. So um, <laughs> I love yeah. I love how Jesse sets it up and he's like Brian teach go throw the ball just yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> so here's the thing. Okay. So the first question I ask is just what is a story, and I let people struggle with that for a while. And then there's going to be people who hear this podcast who take my class who pretend like, oh, no, I just thought it up. But, but I let them struggle. And the reason I let them struggle is because when you hear it, it makes so much sense that you will already think you knew it. Mm-hmm. Oh, right. Yeah, I, got, I knew that. Right? No. You, I let people struggle so they know they didn't know. Mm. Right? Now, then I ask what stories are for. Stories... Um, they think that the reason that we started speaking as a species is to tell stories. That's why we started to speak. So the whole species tells stories. There's no one on the planet that doesn't do it. No culture ever. That's never been true. So if there were humans or human, you know, ancestors, that didn't tell stories, they did not survive. So this is a selected for trait. So if it's a selected for trait, why would it exist? Hmm. Why do all selected for traits exist? To teach. For survival. Yeah. That's what they're for, right? That's why a bird in this region has a long beak because it's got to get the nectar out of a flower that's deep or whatever. And that flower is deep for some other reason. And you know, what I mean? you know, there's, it's all, that's why things are selected for because they help a species survive. What would you, what would you say though, for a business who's like trying to figure out their armature and like their point, right. And they hear that, yeah. all right, we tell stories to survive. And it's like, I don't, I'm making a product. Like this isn't, this isn't for people to survive. Yeah, I think that's an Wait, interesting so question, Josh. Does it help someone survive? There's a lot of those, right? Uh, depends. It's like I'm no. helping help people smell good. Help me understand. So you know, if so, for example, I work for a product design company, and we make uh, playing cards, right? And at the surface, it's like, okay, I design playing cards, but how does this help you survive? Like, is it essential? Okay, hey, Josh. Josh. Okay, here's what I'm gonna tell you. If you just think playing cards are about are about I don't know. I don't know. I'm a game mechanic. You're a commodity, my friend. Yeah. Like Just how, do, like, how yes. do playing cards help? <laughs> how does playing cards help someone survive? And also, I think you should set up the different types of survival. Yes. Here's the thing. Often, when I say survival, people go immediately to physical survival, life mm. or death. Right. But there's all kinds of survival. Right. So there's cultural survival. This is why we do blah, blah, blah. This is why, right? So the culture survives. So there's culture survival. There's spiritual or emotional survival, right? Any 12-step program or support group would be that kind of survival. People sharing stories in order to help other people get through something, right? Right. I, I have an uncle who had um, had to have heart surgery, uh, kind of a major heart surgery. And before he had it, they had people who'd had the surgery come in and talk to him about that experience to make him feel better about having to go into surgery. Hmm. Right. Um, and he said, he told me, he was like, that really helped. So of course it did. Yeah. That's, we use stories that way all the time. Right. So, um, so there's all kinds of survival. Right. So you, you have to broaden 
what survival means. Yeah. When, yeah. Yeah. Emotional, physical, communal, spiritual. Yeah. So what do you people do with cards? They play, play, they play them. games with them. They, uh, throw them into right. a hat. Yeah, throw them in a hat, right? <laughs> well, you think about that. It's like, what do you think? Is there magic between Brian and I sitting here playing cards together? Is there anything communally happening there that might be important for the overall well-being of the species when two people connect and just play a game? Definitely. Right? So it's like when you start thinking about everything at that level, you start finding the magic again. Sure. Does that make sense? Yeah. It's like when you go like, well, you always talk about the three things, find food, don't become food, make little versions of yourself. Mm -hmm. So I think, Ben, you said like, well, what's about, you know, perfume? It's like, that doesn't help people survive. It's like, I don't think we're talking about the same thing. Make yeah. little versions of yourself, right? There's right. three things that all organisms are concerned with, right? Getting food, not becoming food. <laughs> Yeah. And make a little versions of themselves. Now, what that looks like could be uh, getting food, um, could just be, could be getting that cool job. It could be getting that, you know what I mean? It's, it's survival at that level, yeah. right? Mm. Um, not becoming food. Don't be a victim. This is how you are not a victim. Sometimes it could be actually, this is how you're not food. Right. Right. You know, depending on where you live in the world, you know, that still may be really, you know, people still get attacked by mountain lions or bears. Uh, in India, you might get attacked by a, a tiger. You know what I mean? Like people still are, can be food. Right. Right. So uh, get food. Don't become food. Don't be a victim. Make little versions of yourself that can look, of course, like reproduction, but can also look like uh, making a piece of art. Hmm. Um, starting a company, being right? A teacher. Being a teacher yeah. or a mentor. And that, that, ex that, expansion, free, that expansion of survival is really, really helpful because it's so easy to think about it in this one dimensional, small little box of like, this is what I do and that's it, right? I mean, the funny the funny thing, Josh, when you're, you're the easiest person to teach this stuff to is people like, like I was talking to Melissa Arnott, I got to make a documentary on her and she's like the first female uh, mountain climber to like summit Everest without oxygen. Melissa's like top 1% of 1% badasses. Yeah. And it's like, we're talking about story structure and it's like existing part survival information. She's like, yeah, of course. What else would it be? <laughs> She's like, when I'm on the mountain, I'm literally keeping, she goes like, do you know how I keep people alive? I tell them stories. Yeah. yeah. She's like, it was, well, she was like, yeah, okay. Next question. Of course. <laughs> like when you're used to like, actually the problem is for the last, I don't know, hundreds of odd years, you don't have to worry about a tiger necessarily eating you or whatever, but you do have to worry about getting fired mm. or you do have to worry about running a red light or you do have to worry mm. about making, you know, your best friend mad again because you're talking about his new girlfriend or you do have to worry about, you know, making your paying your bills. And all of a sudden you start to realize, oh, I'm feeling anxious. What do you do? Oh, you go find somebody that gives you a story, right? Like when I think about it, stories are medicine. I think about like I uh, there was a period of my time when my grandmother raised me and I, it was the same period of time I got glasses and I had these big buck, like Sally, Jesse, Raphael, like big glasses in the eighties. Right. And my grandma, she took me to school and then she always picked me up and she was walking me home, maybe a block and a half from school. And I was talking about the kids making fun of me for my glasses. And like, I had, I had, you know, like Kmart shoes and things like that. She was, and she told me this story about how she grew up poor. And when she was little, they only had, she had two dresses and, you know, but it's what's on the inside that counts. And by the time I got back to her house, I felt better. Mm. She gave me medicine. She helped me survive. You know what I'm saying? And yeah. so like when you start to understand that that's magic, 
And that's what we're talking about. It also means that your job, Josh, whether you're doing a podcast or writing a blog or talking to your neighbor is to help someone survive. And the best job in the world is to be a storyteller because you're in the business of making medicine and not poison. And telling telling the truth, right? Yeah. 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 Like, I think that that's a good example of like the power of stories. Oh, yeah. Griots. So griots, you know, West African storytellers. Right. And so they would keep the history of a of a group. They would, um, you know, and they and they they were here's another here's an interesting thing about being a storyteller, by the way. In if you look at indigenous cultures. The healer. And the storyteller. And the magician were all the same job. Mm. I think that when we only do one of those things, right? Oh, and the healer, right? Did I say healer? But when we only do one of those things, we're not doing the job. Yeah. We do all those things, right? Um, if you see, um, uh, uh, he's now a friend of mine, uh, Derek Dalgadio did a, a show called In and of Itself. It's crazy. It's on, it's on Hulu. And one of the best things I've ever seen. It's amazing. And he does illusions, but that's not where the magic happens. The magic happens in his storytelling. I mean, it's amazing what he does. He does. He's doing all the jobs that I'm mm. talking about. It's really amazing to watch in and of itself. It's on Hulu right now. Um, uh, what was I saying? <laughs> well, you were setting up, like you were talking about Griots and how oh, right, the, Griots. the job of a storyteller. And yeah. I'm just saying like, Josh, when you start thinking about playing cards and you go looking for the magic of how this actually helps... How can you genuinely tell a story that shows how these help someone survive communally? All of a sudden you start going, oh, the more that I can help people connect. What happens when people connect, Josh? What happens when people connect? They can see each other. Yeah. What happens when people can see each other? All of a sudden I go, go innovate around that shit. And you start teaching people how to play cards. You're teaching people how to connect when they don't normally know how to connect. And you go, oh, I can make it easier to learn bridge and I'll make it easier to do this. Now people start talking. What happens when people start talking? They see the humanity in each other. You start bringing that into your brand. You're no longer just a deck card company, my friend. Yeah. You just found some yeah. magic and you're yeah. helping people. Boom. You know what's, fasc- what's fascinating is like, what? here's what I love. Whenever we talked about having Brian on the podcast, I was like, I was telling Josh, I was like, I hope Jesse comes too, because there's such a nice pairing of the two together because you all speak with such conviction. Brian brings a sort of like, uh, art and philosophy to stories and then Jesse brings this conviction that's so uh, addictive and like you want some of that. And I think without that conviction around storytelling, when life and business gets like a lot of pressure and gets really tough, you always start to see stories as the first thing to go or people not think about or focus on. Right, yeah, no, it's the true. worst decision. It, yeah, it's terrible. Well, and also but, think about it like, Ben, this is how we do it. So Brian will go in and he'll teach story structure and then I'll go, how, here's how to apply that to marketing and business. Here's a, here's a couple little ones for anybody paying attention at home. You're going to write an email, figure out your armature before you write it. Mm. If you have two armatures, send two emails. You know what just happened? Whoa. People started actually reading your emails, okay? Like basic stuff, like Ben, you're running a fund, cool. What is a business? Why do businesses exist? Answer those two first two questions before you do anything, and you're going to figure out the entire logic of your fun. Does uh-huh. that make sense? Like yeah. all this stuff that he's talking about, understand he's not talking about stories. He's talking about the logic of focus and human communication. So you can now apply this 
to whatever problem, like Josh, if you got to do a campaign for those cards, right. hopefully now it'll be easier. Yeah. Right? I saw this happen in real time too. Uh, when Brian, you helped us out as a mentor of Visco Voices. And this moment kind of stands out to me because uh, for better or worse, we always run into certain artists that are just feeling in the dark, trying to make sense of the art project they're working on. And you were so patient in trying to ask questions to help people kind of reach to these new levels. And there was, I don't want to say a breaking point, but there was a point where you had, you had, you had been pressing and help and trying to help some people get to this part where their art and their story that they're trying to tell through this art had some sort of structure. And you were like, you need to lean into your pain and not this idealism of what you're trying to create. And mm -hmm. I remember leaning over to, I think it was Josh or Adrian. And I was like, I don't think people in the room realize the magic or the gems that like Brian is unfolding right now before our eyes, because it's that invisible ink. It was like mm. this philosophical story structure is so important because then it influences consciously and subconsciously all the decisions you make from business to art to film. Like it's so much more to like what you were saying, like screenwriters will talk about for days how great this book is. Yeah. But your book and all the other books you've written, uh, has influenced belief in the business structure you all do. It can influence artists and the way in which they think about the stories they're trying to tell through the work that they create. Like that was just like such a, like a, such a moment for me to kind of see the writing on the wall as an outside perspective of like, you've got to tell the truth. You got to have a point to what you're trying to say. You need to have some sort of structure and you need to lean into the pain and tension that you yourself are experiencing through trying to tell this story. And that was like such a fascinating moment for me, but I feel like people get caught up in the moment that they don't allow themselves to take a step back and look at all the different things. Like how have you been able to cultivate that sort of practice or discipline, even for you, Jesse, as you all do this for other businesses now? I'm going to hold on. Cause I don't want to miss out on the Grio thing. Okay. Yes. I, started I didn't mean to cut you off from that. No, 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 no. But we went away from it. But I, I want to talk about how powerful the griots were believed to be. So if there were two groups and they were warring, they were having, you know, they were battling, warring. Griots could move between groups freely. Because the rule was you cannot hurt another tribe's griot. Please do not hurt these people. Because if you do, and they get away, they will go back home and they will tell a story that will make that army invincible. Mm. <laughs> wow. That's how powerful they knew stories were. Wow. Like, leave those people alone. <laughs> think about how that works practically. Whether you're, think about like the best coaches, think about the best business people. Yeah. What are they always known for? Their right? power. That's right. Also, shout out to Adrian if we're talking about the same person. Oh yeah, totally. <laughs> like, but you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like that's what people don't understand. If you understand this, also a really important distinction here, the difference between, um, we're not talking about propaganda. Okay. Mm. So like understand that best definition of propaganda I've ever heard is propaganda is a message that benefits the speaker, but not the listener. Mm. It's the opposite. Like Josh, if you're thinking through that campaign for those cards, it better be medicine to them. Right, not for. And by the way, you'll yeah. all, if you do this right, you'll also sell some a lot of cards. And but but first, go like, well, how can I help them survive? How can I help them connect between each other? How can I help them see each other through a game? Whatever, right? 
When you think like that, all of a sudden it starts to elevate everything you do. And then you feel good about it too, because you realize Seth Godin talks about it. He's like, he's like, marketers have the best job in the world because their whole job is helping people. It's like storytellers are the best. It's the best job in the world. Your job is to help people. And most people the think the job, the job is to sell, right? And they miss mm-hmm. the, yeah. the, the heart mm-hmm. of what, what it is to help people. It literally help them survive emotionally, physically, communally, spiritually, you name it. And people will gladly pay for that. That's yeah. right. People will gladly pay for that. Yeah. I, I, um, I, when I saw the Lion King on Broadway, um, it's interesting what happens when people walk out of that play because there's merchandising all there's t-shirts and there's little Mufasas you can buy and all this stuff. They don't have to sell that stuff because people are like, take my money, please. I need an artifact of this experience. This thing helped me in some way and I need a piece of it Mm. because you gave me something. Mm. People will gladly pay you. Did you do the pin trick? Oh, you should do it. Should I do the pin trick? Yeah. So you ever seen me do this? Ben, the pin trick I ever showed you this? I don't think I've seen this. Okay. So we were, uh, one of the biggest companies in the world. We were there teaching abundant. Brian was teaching them uh, story structure, a bunch of executives. And I was sitting there and there was this guy in the back of his laptop clacking away or whatever. And I was getting pissed because like Brian's up there throwing and this guy's just like sending emails. And I was like, all right. And it wasn't this pen, but it was a, a similar pen. I said, hey, can I ask you a question? He was like, yeah, I go, how much did you pay for this pen? Uh, and he goes, I don't know, a dollar. And I said, cool. If I told you that Ernest Hemingway used this pen to write Old Man in the Sea, would you pay any more? He was like, yeah. I go, how much? I don't know. I was like, give me a number. He goes, 10 grand. I go, so I just, I just took this from a dollar. To 10 grand, I didn't change anything about the pen. I go, you want to learn how to do that? He's like, yeah, I go, shut your laptop. <laughs> I just explained how value works. Yeah. Right? When people go like, when people don't understand that everything is a story, they don't get it. They don't get that you go, okay, cool. You want to know why these cards cost 99 cents and these cost $5? They told a better story than your ass. Once Damn. you get that... Like what just happened when you go like, oh, that's a cool pinball machine. I go, that was Johnny Cash's. And you go, oh, I don't want to touch it. You go, you know what just happened? (laughs) That's how stories work. So if you don't get this, most people when they're like, I have a margin problem. I was like, you have a story problem. I'm about to go run through a wall now here. Oh my goodness. Right? So the funny thing is when you talk about stories, people are like, oh, that's cute. They like pat you on the head and you're like, all right, cool. I'm going to dunk on your ass like right now. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? You don't get it. This is the logic of how value works. So there's a thing called a charged object. If you get that, you're going to be dangerous in business. Yeah. You so, want to set up charged object? Yeah. So uh, charged object, um, uh, it's actually my term for it. Now, the, the technique existed, but it was almost like people in the know knew the technique, right? <laughs> right. And Writers learned it from other writers or, or they just observed it over time, whatever. But nobody ever actually that I know of gave it a, like a definition. And I think when you, when you, um, you give it a term, it, it's like giving it a handle. It's a tool that's easier to use because now you have a handle, right? And so a charged object in a story, uh, and this will actually go back to what I was talking about earlier. So a charged object in a story could be anything. It literally could be this pen that Jesse was talking about, right? But if it's the pen, yeah, it could be this mug. So if this mug uh, was um, 
the last mug my father was using before he died. Mm-hmm. This is no longer just a mug. It means something more. Right? It's a charged object. It's charged with emotions. And in, in a story, when you do that, when you charge something with emotion, you can evoke emotion in the audience just by having someone interact with that cup, for instance. All of a sudden, mug. somebody actually drops the cup and it breaks. Right. And the guy starts crying and you go, I don't know what's happening. Mm. Right? Or the, the mug becomes very important when the characters may be making decisions within the story. So maybe looking at the mug, like kind of what would my dad do or, you know mm. what I mean? Or, or maybe there's a loss in the story. And so that's, oh, I've had loss, right? To pick up the mug, right? The mug is now imbued with emotion, mm. right? There's a, there's a, there's a problem um, with, with drama. And drama, by the way, the word means to do. To dramatize something is to do something. It's to demonstrate versus telling. Hmm. So, right. So a lot of people think that drama is when people on the screen or whatever cry. That's not drama. Drama is when the people in the audience cry. <laughs> hmm. Right. So if this mug breaks and this was my prized possession and it belonged to my father, the audience will cry. I don't even need to do that. This is why logos go at the end of the spot. So a logo doesn't mean anything. It's just a symbol, but it's a vessel that captures the emotion, right? So all of a sudden you take a $50, I think her name was Sarah, a $50 thing that Sarah designed and you put it at the end of a spot, all of a sudden it becomes a swoosh or whatever, right? It's like it captures the emotion. This is why when Steve Jobs said the most powerful person on the planet is the storyteller, this is what he's talking about, mm. right? Because you can use all the stuff I'm doing right now to like, I don't know, raise money for the Red Cross or build the Third Reich. But yeah. understand, it's all the same tool. Yeah, it's it's not such a focus of the brand, but who's doing the best storytelling is what people are going to connect story to. Best always wins. And again, that's why people come out of the Lion King and like, I got to get a Mufasa, right? That's a charged object now. Yeah. Man, Ben, we are like in a Duck. storytelling 101. I'm writing down so many notes. Yeah, there's nothing beyond 101. This is true, by the way. Nothing beyond 101. And that's an important thing because a lot of times people will take my class and they'll say, I, when are you going to teach an advanced class? I'm like, there's no advanced. Anybody who, that's just somebody trying to get more of your money. Mm -hmm. Advanced is Woo! just a deeper understanding of the basics. That's all it is. That's why everybody at the top of their game, any musician who's at the top of their game, Yo-Yo Ma or Wynton Marsalis or whatever, they will say, oh, I practice my scales every day. Well, why do they do that? You don't think they know their scales? There's nothing beyond the basics. That's why they do that. Yeah, we did that in three acts, and you see how he proved his point? He had an armature. <laughs> I know. He's a pro. So if we fast forward from Invisible Ink to your new book, Land of the Dead, what... Mm -hmm. What's connected? What's different? Like, paint a picture for us a little bit around what is what is this new book that you've written? All right, let me brag on this real quick because I don't know if you're going to say it. I gotta <laughs> brag, I'll brag on this. Okay, so Pixar asked Brian to go down and give a lecture, and they're like, nothing you've talked about before. But Brian's always like, same thing you just said. You're like, well, I always talk. There's nothing beyond the 101, right? And they're like, bring in something. So Brian went in and he taught this lecture called Land of the Dead. Um, Lee was in the audience. This is where Coco came from. So if you like the movie Coco. Now, I can't say that. 
I know you can't say, but I my can't head say that that happened. So when you read this book, legally, yeah, I didn't say it, Disney. So they listen to this podcast. Reminds me a lot of something I've seen before. <laughs> it's like, yeah, for good reason. Okay. Okay, Land of the Dead. Yeah, I just published. It's insane. <laughs> Right, not just from like the stories that say, but the artwork's insane. Toby Art is crazy. Crushed it. Toby Cypress did the art; he's amazing. Yeah. Um, but what is the Land of the Dead? So the Land of the Dead is really a deep dive into the survival aspect of story. So anytime you take a writing class or whatever, they'll say, "Oh, stories need conflict. Stories have to have conflict." And uh, I remember as a kid, I'd say, "Well, why?" And the answer was always, well, it's more interesting. Conflict is more interesting. That's not really an answer. Also, mm. whenever anybody gives you that answer, it means they don't know what they're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. It's just more yeah. interesting. That's, what, that's yeah. what they teach us in school, though, right? You have to have the climax, the conflict. Right. The conflict is important, but they don't ask why. Hmm. Dyslexics are always asking why. That's the thing about as dyslexics. Which we I learned. learned both of you are dyslexic, right? Yeah. 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 That's why I was like, Brian's stuff makes sense to me. <laughs> Steve Jobs, when I listen to Jobs, I'm like, Jobs makes sense to me. Yeah. Disney it's... makes sense to me. Hitchcock makes sense to me. Oh, they're all dyslexic. You're like, yeah, it's yeah. logical. Yeah, it all, it's like, oh, that's the way I think. It's really interesting. Yeah. But um, what was I saying? You said, you said uh, Land of the Dead is. Uh, oh, yeah. yeah. So it's a deep dive. So conflict, the reason stories need conflict is because conflict is the thing that we have to survive. Right. You're surviving conflict, right? So that's why all stories have conflict, right? Within that conflict, there are some elements of the land of the dead. So the land of the dead, um, in ancient stories, you see it a lot. Characters will journey into the underworld, into the spirit world, into the land of the dead. They will acquire some wisdom in that journey and bring it back. It's called a catabasis, has a name happen so often we still use catabasis we still use that but we don't recognize it so the elements that one would find in the land of the dead tortured souls things like that you will also find when you're in these points of conflict sure. in your life and so uh and those those are the places where you get wisdom when you are at your lowest that's where the wisdom is mm. When you talk to somebody and you go, oh, they're really wise, that means they've been through something. That's where mm. wisdom comes from. Land of the dead. And <laughs> stories tell us that that's where wisdom comes from. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Oldest story we have on where stories come from. Well, the oldest story we have written down is the Epic of Gilgamesh. Mm. And the Epic of Gilgamesh, this is a character who, who um, his best friend dies. And then he freaks out. Um, he mourns his friend first, and then he freaks out that, wait, I'm going to die one day. And the Epic of Gilgamesh is a guy going on this journey to figure out how to live forever, basically getting to the end and realizing that that's not the point. Right? You're not going to find that. He's wasted all this time trying to do that. And the point of that piece is it's, a, it's, a, it's spiritual survival, right? Mm -hmm. Take pleasure in the small things in life. You are going to die. So take pleasure in uh, a child holding your hand is example they use in the book. Yeah. You know? It's Ecclesiastes. It's the same thing. Yeah, says the same thing. Yeah, right? Take 
pleasure in those things. That's spiritual survival. And that's in the oldest story we have written down. <laughs> the flood story is mentioned in that story, by the way, as an ancient story in that story. So we know the flood story is older, but the oldest story we have written down is the Epic of Gilgamesh. And the oldest story we have about where stories come from is about this too. Well, I don't know if it's the oldest story. We're it's an old story. About where stories come from. Yes. The Mongolian story. The, yeah, there's a, there's a Mongolian story about a kid who is, um, he's in a village and there's a plague going throughout the village. And this kid gets a fever and gets very sick and assumes he's going to die. His whole family thinks he's going to die. They gather around. He thinks he's going to, he's in a lot of pain with his fever. And he decides he doesn't want to hang around and be in pain. So he goes to the underworld and says, you know, I, I don't want to wait around. So he goes to the underworld and he meets the, the, the king of the dead there, the con of the dead. And the con of the dead says, what are you doing here? And he goes, well, I was dying. And, he, and he's like, you weren't going to die. You know, he's like, oh, I thought I was going to die. He's like, you weren't going to die. So he's like, you have to go back. He goes, but before you go back, um, I'll tell you what, I'll give you a gift. You can have anything you want that is in the underworld. And everything is there. Anything you could want in the world is in the underworld. Hmm. And he chose his gift and he brought it back to the land of the living. And his gift that he brought back was storytelling. Hmm. And that's an old Mongolian story. And that's he, that, that, Tarva, that character, that person is said to be Mongolia's oldest storyteller. That's awesome. So like my grandma, when she was telling me about the dress thing, that was Land of the Dead. She went to Land of the Dead. She had wisdom and she gave it to me as a gift. So really she's saying like, you're not alone. Right? And you go like, oh, okay, cool. If grandma survived that, I can get through this. Yeah. Right? And yeah. so it's like, if stories exist in part of survival information, that means you're going to learn that by surviving something. It's like, if I'm doing documentaries, I'm always looking for the land of the dead. Hmm. It's like, uh, one of the things we talk about is in nature, the medicine grows next to the poison because hmm. it's an ecosystem balance. Right? So if you find like nettles, you'll also find like slugs or ferns to balance. Right? So it's like, cool. Show me the poison. Let's talk about the land of the dead. And we're going to figure out what your armature is. Because once you know your armature, you're crazy. You can do anything. You can yeah. make decisions so fast, right? And so yeah. it's like you have to go to Land of Dead, unfortunately, to find the wisdom. Yeah. Right? So figure out your Land of the Dead, and things will start making sense. Ooh, mm. man. A lot of soul searching there for that one. <laughs> yeah. Well, I want to I want to shift gears real quick because, Jesse, I know you're really involved in the Web3 NFT space and passionate about it, doing a lot of stuff in it. There's a lot of storytelling elements within that. But Brian, I haven't heard too much from you what your hot takes or experiences of like seeing the NFT, all the the promises and like the things that, that can be created within storytelling in that world. Like what are some of the things that excite you? But then what are some of the things that you press Jesse on that might be uh, things that are like, uh, I don't know if that can do it or not do it. Like, what are some of the challenges there? I don't, I don't think about it that way. So, yeah. um, I am more, uh, here's the interesting thing about storytelling. Every time there's a technology, people think, oh, this is going to change storytelling. Mm -hmm. This is not the first technological advance in storytelling, right? So books are technology, right? 
Um, maybe even you could even go to the written word being technology, right? So mm -hmm. we have the written word that we have books and paper. We have, um, we have film, um, you know, and television and we have the internet and we have interactivity, all these things that we have now. Storytelling has never changed from one of those things to the next. It has never changed. And people will try, again, people trying to make money will tell you, well, you got to learn how to do it this way, right? Mm. But really, you have to learn how to do it the ancient way. It's funny, I, I sometimes uh, Invisible Ink will get a bad review and the review will basically say something like, well, there's nothing new in this book. It's like, that's right. That's the there's point. nothing new, right? I'm teaching ancient wisdom, not new wisdom. There's no such thing as new wisdom, right? <laughs> right? You know. So, so imagine you're saying it's just technology. So imagine if you're like, uh, Brian, you've been a uh, playwright for many years, and there's this new thing called uh, moving pictures coming out, and you're going to start directing movies now. Uh, uh, how's that going to cha radically change? You know the stories you tell, and it's like, well, it isn't. It still has a curtain. Just like yeah. in a play, and it's like the struck, and you're like, okay, Brian, I know you've been telling you know movies on the silver screen, but there's this thing called television. How's that going to radically change the way you go? And he's like, okay, oh, Brian, you've been a TV producer. Now there's this thing called podcasting. I bet that's going to radically change. And you're like, no, the the structure and the logic, everything is the same. It's just a new permutation of the same old shit. Mm. Oh, that's it's know, such that's a great job security answer as well, too. Of like this structure thing. <laughs> will always be there and will always work no matter like what changes in the technology that's or the media. Well, th this is why if you understand structure, like what that's what I'm telling you is like, I've sat down with people before. We work a lot with C-suite, right? Where they'll be like, I want to write a book. And I'll be like, okay. And we'll figure out the armature and then we'll map out the whole book. And it could take 45 minutes and we got the whole thing done. It's like, okay, what do we do the rest of the day? It's like nothing. <laughs> it's like the hardest part is figuring out what's well, for people too. Hardest part is figuring out who you are. Yeah. Hardest part is figuring out your armature. If you know yeah. who you are, you know what to do. You figure that out, everything else gets easy. And if you if you, you can become a good more. if you can become a good storyteller, you there's job security, right? Like it doesn't matter what medium or like what it doesn't like, matter. Well, the armature well, of the of our podcast is you are a storyteller, right? Which is yeah, a great yeah. one to listen to. Well, it's because Josh, what we. Most people, like we do when we're doing this kind of stuff, people will say like, oh, but I'm not a good storyteller. And I'll be like, but they'll use perfect three-act structure to explain to me that they can't tell stories. <laughs> yeah, it's it's innate. Yeah. We can all do it, you know? Uh, we do it all the time. Yeah. Um, well, what is, one, thank you guys for joining us on the podcast. This has been incredible. Ben and I are walking away with so many notes. Um, but as we close... Um, Two things. What's a way that, you know, people in different industries, um, people listening to this podcast can go deeper into storytelling? AKA um, then, Josh. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'll, I'll take it all. I've, I've, man, I'm about to, I'm on fire for work. Um, what's a, what's a practical way we can all get better at storytelling and what's some, what are some things that you guys want to plug? Yeah, I'll do this for Brian because he won't do this, but like you should read Invisible Ink. When I, when I say yes. It's the best book ever written on how to understand stories. Uh, that's not an exaggeration. Um, but, but but when you read it, understand he's not talking about you talk. You're talking to screenwriters primarily in the book. But apply take out when he says screenwriting, put in business. When he's saying screenwriting, put in writing emails. When he's saying screenwriting, three act structure, say oh. <laughs> the, 
Proposal argument conclusion. Oh, that's why sales funnels work the way they do. Like, even when you try to understand sales funnels, people use all this like, well, you know, step one, step. It's like, dude, he's just saying proposal argument conclusion. You yeah. know, it's like, right? It's like, understand that whatever you're trying to solve from a communication standpoint, when he says screenwriting, just put that in there. Mm. And whenever you're stuck, go back to it. It'll help you. Yeah. So that's where I would start. Where would you start if it wasn't with your work? Uh, that's a good question. I do want to say something that I, I, I wanted to say when we're talking about technology, and that is Orson Welles, successful in theater, then very successful on the radio, and then was able to be a filmmaker. And he was telling stories in all those mediums, so it didn't make any difference to him where he was doing it. You, you have to learn the strengths and weaknesses of that particular thing. Hmm. But that's it. The guy who wrote uh, Rear Window for Alfred Hitchcock was a radio writer. And Hitchcock was a very visual filmmaker. So I was this guy who completely worked uh, in, in audio, able to write a screenplay for Alfred Hitchcock, who was very visual, but still storytelling. Yeah. Right? So the technology is you have to figure out the strengths and weaknesses of every technology and utilize them. And sometimes the weaknesses end up being the strengths of those things. People yeah. don't really understand that. But the fact that you can't see, uh, for instance, in a radio you ca- radio play, you can't see everything. That's a strength. You can have an army if you want. <laughs> you can yeah. do anything. You can, anything can happen, right? Because it's all in your imagination. So that weakness is the strength. Um, so knowing what those things are are really important when you're, when you're looking at technology. Um, but in terms of what you should know, also, you saw all three acts, right? You got to start to see this stuff, you guys. Once you can see it, that's the hardest part. Once you can see it and go like, oh, here comes this armature. Act one, act two, act three, proposal, argument, conclusion. Once you can start to see it, then you understand. I mean, the first one of the first things you said in class was you're like, listen, go home tonight. And if you can't uh, just observe in a conversation with your significant other or whoever you're talking about, everything else goes. And I think that that's a great practical like takeaway, right? Like for anyone listening to this to right after like walking walking down the street right like listening for these different acts i think that's a strong and that was good did everybody see what josh just did right there (laughs) (laughs) that's a great takeaway and then you dramatized it like just walking down the street well anyways that's a good practical takeaway (laughs) right three acts you already know how to do this and that and that's what i was going to say actually i was just going to say learn how to i say um observe stories in their natural habitat Mm. It learn, learn to observe stories in their natural habitat because that's where you will learn everything. And this was the problem I had with Joseph Campbell. He's a great professor. It's yeah. interesting, but it's more of like it's more of like an intellectual exercise because there's all this coded language like there's the crossing of the threshold. There's returning with the elixir. And I'm like, oh, okay, cool. But see what Josh just did? Oh, I can see that. If I can see that, then I guess I could try to rewrite my email of like, Cool. What is my armature? Okay, that's right. Okay, what's my? How do I set that up? What's my conclusion? I know what my conclusion has to be because I know what my what my armatures exist to prove, right? Whatever. Be at the picnic by five o'clock. You're fired. Okay. If I know that's where it needs to land, <laughs> then I can set that up. And don't forget, we have investors coming today, and so we got to do all this at the at the picnic. And by the way, if you're not there, you're going to get fired because you can now see why this is over. Whatever. You start to go like, oh, okay, cool. I can see it. No one's making it up. Also, mm. this is why gurus will screw you over every time. So many gurus. Oof. Like, learn how to feed yourself. Like, Woo. if yeah. you look, like, yes. right? So, if you can figure out, you go, Josh, if like the fact that you already, you're like, oh, I got to learn this stuff, and then you did it perfectly, 
it's like you know what that means you don't need anybody my man right which it's is already it's important. already there and you just keep returning right. yeah. to the foundation yep. yes sir i'm always trying to get people to to not need me when i'm teaching like a lot of people i won't say telling names, stories for survival yeah uh-huh. yeah i want them to not need me so a lot of times in class i want to answer all their questions i'm like oh i know you have the capacity to answer that question so I want you to go do it because Figure I want it you to out. Yeah. teach it to yourself because sometimes what started to happen when I would teach sometimes is somebody would come back and they go, I really like your take on stories. I'm like, oh, as long as you think it's my take, there will be a problem because you're like, mm. oh, that's Brian's take. I go, you go look, you go in the world and you see it or don't see it, whatever, but you have to teach it to yourself. Yeah. It's yeah. an MLM otherwise. Right. So you ever met a parent? who doesn't realize their job is to get their kids to not need them as soon as possible. (laughs) Do you know why that's important? Because one day that'll be true. If you don't do that for your kids, what happens when you're, when they're, when you're gone, they're screwed. People do that because they're trying to milk you for money and time and energy. Mm. When your job is to get them to stand up on their own. Mm. So they don't need you. Right. That's the gift. Yeah. If it's, if, 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 if everything has a string attached where you're like, well, I need Brian to approve it. And that's why every year I have to pay $1,200 for Brian to approve me as a certified bullshit, whatever. <laughs> right. It's like, oh, you're a vampire and you're just sucking the blood out of your followers as opposed yeah. to, no, we're trying to get Josh to the point where he doesn't, he doesn't even think about yeah. who taught him this stuff. He can just do it because he's got a, you know, playing deck card company to run. You know what I'm yeah. saying? <laughs> Man, right? It is. It's just crazy how simple and foundational this stuff is. And if you just, well, from artists to learn to businesses, it, it kind of works in any of those if spheres. You, if you're listening to this podcast, this is a gem. Like you are, I know you're going to put this on repeat. Um, go and listen to Brian Jesse's podcast as well. You are a storyteller. Um, are you guys doing episodes weekly or monthly? How? What's the the rhythm we're, on that? We're trying to. We're going to speed it up. We're going <laughs> to. There's plenty of them right now, so it'll take a long time to catch up. Go go and listen to the the past episodes, but no, there's a ton more of. There's Wonderful more coming, content yeah. coming. There's some really fun ones, like like you interview like Frank, Frank Oz, and yeah. all sorts of crazy storytellers. Yeah, because yeah. we have the one that we do together. You are a storyteller, and then we have Masters of the Craft, where I interview Masters of the Craft, like Glenn Keane, who animated The Beast and Beauty and the Beast, and Pocahontas, or Frank Oz, who is Yoda and. The, wis- the wisdom monster. is here. Don't look for yeah. the gurus. We got wisdom the real thing. And the <laughs> <laughs> we got the real thing. Brian, Jesse, thank you guys for being here today. I uh, really appreciate y'all's time. Well, thanks for having us. <laughs>